Greetings, film pals. I bid you welcome to the Cinematic Crypt, a motion picture podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and Classic Corner, Rosalie Kicks, otherwise known as Betzina Belfry. Each episode, I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film from the grave. Before we descend into the crypt, I will begin with reading my obituary, a notice of what I have been up to since we last spent time together. Recently, my partner in crime, Benjamin, and I were gifted a movie collection from a fellow cinephile, Uncle Len. He was a family member of a dear film pal of mine, Liz Locke of Cinemasips.com. During this time spent on Earth, Len managed to acquire nearly the entire Criterion Collection, and Liz, understanding that Benjamin and I appreciate physical media, shared some of this spooktacular cinematic treasure with us. Creepies. You may recall from our most recent descent to the cinematic crypt that one of the graveyard ghoulies, Roderick Towers, had requested that I share movies that I have been watching. I will include some of my favorites from Uncle Len's collection, as I think this is a perfect way to honor this illustrious cinephile. This could be the beginning of the end for the human race. For what men first thought were meteors or the often ridiculed flying saucers are in reality the flaming vanguard of the invasion from Mars. Looks like they're gonna come out of that gully pretty soon. We'll have to rush our defenses to be ready when they do. Guys need plenty of reinforcements. We'll get them. Lieutenant, look! They slash across country like scythes wiping out everything that's trying to get away from them. That explains why communication is cut the moment their machines begin moving. Montreal's blacked out. Nothing more has come through. Same thing that happened on the Pacific Coast. Anything from them yet? No, Mr. Secretary. We've had nothing from San Francisco for over five hours. The nations of the world mobilize their armed might, rushing to defend the Earth against the unknown weapons of the super race from the Red Planet. Is there nothing that can stop the Martian death machines? Guns, tanks, bombs, they're like toys against them. We know now that we can't beat their machines. We've got to beat them. All over the world, human beings cower before the onslaught of these unearthly enemies, whom no one has ever seen. Panic that sweeps around the globe as the great masses of mankind flee blindly in a headlong stampede of hysteria. Today, I would like to share with you the 1953 cotton candy colored sci-fi flick, War of the Worlds. What a beauty this is for the eyes. After a small town in California is attacked by Martians, it leads to a worldwide invasion. 
I loved the use of color in this film and wish more sci-fi flicks of today were this vivid, as I find they are typically dull and drab in appearance. The alien beings also looked rather creeptastic with their stringy fingers and their Simon Says style eyes. If you are able to, I recommend finding this flick and watching it in your own crypt. Mwah! What is it? Say, what is it? Hey, why it's buttercup? Popcorn and sweet cream butter too hot popcorn. Mix it up, wrap it up, buttercup is born. It's delicious. So nutritious. It's a taste delight. It's so munchy. Crisp and crunchy. You'll enjoy each bite. Eat butter crunched buttercup. Popcorn at its best. Served in a king-size cup. It beats all the Creepies, you just heard the introduction of the Creature Feature Show, Scream In, hosted by Joseph Zawislek, otherwise known as Dr. Shock. A former insurance salesman, deli worker, pinball arcade manager, truck driver, professional magician, and finally, horror host. Before we get to our main attraction, let's take a stroll in the cemetery, shall we? Join me, goblins and ghouls, on a trip to the graveyard to pay respects to horror hosts from days gone by in a segment I've entitled Grave Time. It's Saturday afternoon. The eerie face of the devil transforms into a fiery likeness of a macabre, vampirish figure of a man. Above the scratchy organ music can be heard the diabolical laugh of the one and only Dr. Shock. And after that, anything goes. Belly dancers, snake charmers, elephants, clowns, karate experts, even famous celebrities. Anything was possible. I'm Rick Fox. Since December of 1972, it was my pleasure to write, produce, and direct Mad and Horror Theater starring Dr. Shock. Joseph was a Philadelphia-based horror host on WPHL 17 in the 1970s and would go on to host three different programs, which were entitled Scream In, Mad Theater, and Horror Theater. His show aired from the comfort of his laboratory, where he donned a frock coat, spats, and ghoulish makeup. In fact, his attire and even demeanor was very much similar to John Zacherly, 
You may recall in episode 25 of the cinematic crypt, I paid respects to the cool ghoul, Zachary, also a Philadelphia native. Ghost connection! In fact, Dr. Shock was very much a fan of Zachary, and it is said that this is where he got much of his inspiration for his character's persona, with Zachary's permission, of course. Many would even say he was kind of a strange cross between Zachary and Pennsylvania comedian W.C. Fields. I have to say, creepies. I'm not much of a fan of Mr. Fields. To each their own, I suppose. Hello, we're back. And my uh, homemade monster is just about done. Look at that. What I've done now while you were away, I, uh, painted some red lines in the face resembling veins and uh, I get this by using Stein's stage blood number four. Don't go using vampire blood because uh, that's uh, dangerous to your uh, skin. As a matter of fact, I do believe they took it off the uh, off the market. And then get some uh, gauze and wrap, the, uh, wrap your head up just like you see here, just like you had a headache, right? And a toothache at the same time. And this is uh, a boy... Uh, with a split personality, <laughs> right? And I think he, uh, you look okay. Now you're all set for Halloween. <laughs> right? End of April, you're all set for Halloween. <laughs> May 1st, I mean, right? Uh, you just stay right there, okay? Well, I say goodbye to all my viewers out there. Speak, boy, speak. You're on TV now. You're a star. Legend has it, the illustrious horror host hailed from the mountains of Romania. 144 years ago, Dr. Shock was born Count Zashowak. After a thunderstorm destroyed his castle, he was rescued by Bella, the gypsy who taught him magic. His first trick was he made Bella disappear, of course. Later, he would be smuggled into the country as an archaeological find and work at a cemetery as a grave digger. Of course, he was not without his enemies and would be buried by a jealous attendant and dug up years later by Channel 17. I want you to observe two cylinders, a third cylinder, perfectly empty, nothing at all inside. Watch. Are you ready for this? One, two, a magic pass. You like that magic pass? <laughs> and of course, a piece of rope. A piece of rope. I'm going to do a fantastic rope trick with a piece of rope. Yes, I will. Fantastic rope trick with a piece of rope. <laughs> Any minute now, I'm going to do this fantastic trick with this piece of rope. <laughs> Any moment now, gang, just keep your eyes on the magical hands of Dr. Shock. Dr. Shock would chat with his home viewers and dazzle them with magic tricks and illusions. Magic was more than just a hobby for Dr. Shock, as he had become fascinated with the craft at the age of 16 after seeing a fire eater at a carnival. Soon thereafter, he would attempt to teach himself this skill. Initially, he started out as a traveling magician assisted by his wife and billed as the amazing Mr. Joseph. 
He would later become known as Dr. Shock when he incorporated an electric chair into the act. When he was not performing magic, he was out selling insurance. His television career would begin in 1969, while at his barber, he met a director from Channel 17 and discovered they were looking for a horror host. Good afternoon, my, uh, my little nightfalls of fright, and welcome to Mad Theater. Hello there, you wacky little weirdos, and welcome to another Flash in a Pan episode of Horror Theater. And salutations, my Saturday celluloid six flicksters, and welcome to another heartwarming episode of Mad Theater. Greetings, my uh, movie mongrels of madness, and welcome to Horror Theater. <laughs> and good afternoon, my uh, mind-boggling masters of madness, and welcome to another horrendous happening right here on Mad Theater. He would open his creature feature program with ghastly greetings such as My frog-faced fools of fright, my nostalgic numbskulls of night, Greetings, my hokey hucksters of horror. His horror hosting career would start with the Scream In program, in which a ghoul named Boris would serve as his hunchback assistant. The show would air on Saturday evenings, but unfortunately be canceled after 13 weeks. However, his horror hosting career did not end here, as letters from fans poured into the station in protest of the cancellation. He would end up back on the air, but his scar-faced, one-eyed assistant Boris would be replaced by his baby daughter, who he referred to as Bubbles. The show would go on to be known as Mad Theater, and then later, Horror Theater, and Dr. Shock would show a double creature feature on Saturday afternoons. Some of the films he showed were Teenage Caveman, Curse of Faceless Man, and Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. It was said that his show did not inspire fear, but instead he was more of a friendly, reassuring monster. Many of his fans would write into the program, and they would be delivered to Dr. Shock by a dismembered hand. And he was known to make personal appearances arriving in a chauffeured hearse. The driver would pull out a coffin, and Dr. Shock would open the lid, slowly emerging. When he passed away, Channel 17 ran a spooktacular tribute, which you can actually find on YouTube. Something that was said on the tribute show, I will now leave with you. It is a fond tribute to a gentle man who only pretended to be a monster. Mwah. presentation.
right, film pals? Time to grab your cape and get uncomfortable. It is time for our regularly scheduled spooky program. Follow me, but watch your step as you descend down to the cinematic crypt. <laughs> Today's episode will mark the fourth and final entry in the series, Double Trouble. Over the course of this series, I have examined a total of four flicks in which there is not one, but two characters that the actor portrays. No need for the double take. Your eyes did not deceive. When it is double trouble, it is sure to be twice as fun. This episode will feature the 1946 motion picture, La Otra, directed by Robert Galvedon and starring Augustin Arusta, Victor Junco, and our corpse of interest, Dolores Del Rio. I've only seen this lady once in my life in person. I've seen all of her motion pictures and I've always loved her. And she was in a restaurant, Sardi's in New York. And I was sitting at another table, and I couldn't eat. And now, for me not to eat, you have no idea <laughs> what kind of pain that is. I was so amazed just to see her sitting there. Once known, widely known, as the most beautiful woman in the world. I've read that many times. When you see her, you'll find out that she can still lay claim to that title. She broke into Hollywood during the silent era. She has a major role in The Children of Sanchez, giving her a career that spans 50 years, and it gives me great pleasure to present the beautiful Dolores Del Rio. La Otra, meaning the other, sometimes screened under the title The Other One, is a Mexican 1946 thriller directed by Roberto Gavladon and stars Dolores Del Rio as Maria and Magdalena Mendez. Known as being a dramatic thriller, this movie has all the markings of the noir genre. A detective on the prowl for the truth, a main character that turns to the dark side inevitably leading to their demise, and black and white photography that often contains stark lighting. The audience is front row to witness the main character's decisions lead them down a slippery slope to their demise. It tells the tale of twin sisters Maria and Magdalena. Magdalena, a recent widow, enjoys the finer things in life and lives a lavish lifestyle, while her sister Maria struggles to make ends meet and lives a meek and unassuming existence as a manicurist. This leads to Maria hatching a plan to assume her sister's identity, but inevitably pays the price with her heart. When Maria initially decides to take over her sister's life, I don't believe she really understood the consequence of her decision. For one, she was only seeing Magdalena's life at a surface level. She didn't seem to realize that in killing her sister, she was also essentially killing herself, as Maria would now cease to exist. Throughout the picture, the viewer witnesses what happens to a person that is weighed down with guilt. It begs to question, which is the worst sin, greed or envy? 
and which twin truly is the evil one. Maria is in a constant state of unhappiness and is unable to see the good things she has in front of her. Of course, her feelings of resentment towards her sister Magdalena are only encouraged due to Magdalena's constant flaunting. The plot truly thickens when an old flame of Magdalena's enters the picture, who apparently assisted with murdering her rich husband, the reason why Magdalena has all of her spoils. I imagine that Maria is feeling a bit of buyer's regret at that point, as she has no idea how her sister ended up a widow, or that she was involved with such a sleaze merchant. Something I love about this movie is that it's kind of wild, but we are learning this information at the same time that Maria, who is now Magdalena, is. Mr. Sleaze, otherwise known as Fernando, is played impeccably by Victor Junko, who really twists the knife into Maria when she tries to end the relationship. With his knowledge of the former husband's murder by poison, he plays the blackmail card, which results in monetary and physical benefits. All of this, of course, devastates Maria, who, we can assume, was once a virgin, saving herself for her true love, Roberto Gonzalez, who coincidentally just happens to be the detective on the case attempting to solve the death of Maria, who is actually Magdalena. One scene in particular that is especially heartbreaking is Robert professing his love for Maria to the fake Magdalena. At one moment, he even believes that she could be Maria, but then surmises, well, that's just simply preposterous. The twists and turns in this script, at times, give it a bit of a steamy soap opera feel, but also keeps things interesting. It can't go without saying that the reason this movie even works at all needs to be credited to actor Dolores Del Rio. She creates two distinct personas for the Mendez twins, and as the viewer, I was impressed with her ability to showcase their differences. Additionally, I could not help but notice the power of her eyes. Dolores could convey so much with a simple side eye. The script for La Otra was owned by Warner Brothers. However, they passed on making it at the time due to the feeling that it too closely resembled the 1946 picture, A Stolen Life. I uncovered that film earlier in the Double Trouble series in episode 32, and well, creepies, the studio could not have been more wrong. The script for A Stolen Life has very little similarities to La Otra except for the dueling twin element. Regardless, Warner Brothers would later revisit the La Otra story, and it served as the basis for the 1964 Betty Davis flick, Dead Ringer. La Otra was penned by Jose Revoltas, who was a longtime collaborator with the director, Roberto Gavaldon. There is another picture the duo worked on that intrigues me, entitled In the Palm of Your Hand, a 1951 motion picture that tells the tale of a fortune teller that blackmails a widow whose husband has recently died. Sounds like the perfect flick for the crypt. What do you think, 
creepies. Maybe I'll do a series on fortune tellers and mystics. What do you think? Dolores would have a 50-year-long career in the motion picture business and is considered the first major female Latin American crossover star in Hollywood. She was first discovered in 1925 and would find much success during the American silent film era. Even with the introduction of talkies, Del Rio would not be held back, as she proved she had the skills for sound. Dolores had said this regarding her transition to talkie pictures. Many big stars didn't survive. Their voices were too high or they didn't speak English well enough. I survived, but it was difficult. I had to work very, very hard at my English. When did you leave uh, Hollywood? I left Hollywood about, um, well, I never did leave Hollywood, really, you know. I, I have returned from uh, Mexico to Hollywood a few times to do films right. here. But your residence was? The last one was Cheyenne Autumn right. with John Ford. And um, once in a while, yes, I work here. But your but residence was a long time here in Hollywood. Oh, yes, for 16 years uh. I worked here. And in 1940, I returned to Mexico and began uh, what I call my second career. Uh, I pioneered, you know, along with a few other actors and directors, a motion picture, uh, a budding motion picture, and I think right. we did some very nice films there. And you've been doing stage, stage work, oh, yes, too. Oh, yes, yes, I work on the mm. stage, too. What brought you to America in the first place, Mr. Oreo? Well, uh, in Mexico City at a party, I met uh, an American director by the name of Edwin Carew. He saw me and he said, uh, you could be the female Valentino. This was 1925, and Valentino was, you know, the greatest star in Hollywood. Mm. And uh, he said uh, he represents um, the male, uh, the Latin male, uh, on the screen, and I think that you could be the female Valentino. So I was very much intrigued, and I thought it would be fun and exciting to come over, spend a month here, work, you know, in a picture, and return to Mexico City. And I never did return. I no, stayed, stayed 16 years. During the 1940s, when her career in Tinseltown would start to slow down, and due to roles she was receiving no longer challenging her, she made the decision to go back to Mexico. She could not have selected a better time, as the industry there was at its peak. She would go on to become one of the prominent actors of the golden age of Mexican cinema, which lasted from 1936 to 1956. She would eventually return to Hollywood in the 60s. One of the reasons I returned to Mexico and stayed in Mexico all of these years, working uh, either on the stage or in motion pictures, is that I could, um, I have more freedom, you see. I could do more the type of things that I wanted. And uh, in Hollywood, uh, they, unfortunately, there is no secret. It's not a special soap. A special... You no, it's a waste of time. All the creams and the soaps and all of those things that women spend millions of dollars on. They're you, no good, you, you know. You exercise, that's what you do. No, I don't like no, exercising. No, don't like <laughs> See, you're not supposed to say I all walk. this stuff. I walk, you know. Oh, you walk. Do you I ever, like to walk. Do you ever bump into Tony? Uh, 
In Italy? Uh, That's a long walk. Oh, I wish I had. I think it would have been lots of fun. No, no. You're a walker. Yes, I like to walk, but not jog, you know. No, no, that's no, no. Not don't good. No, move that's anything very bad. around. No, no, no that's no, very no. bad for you. Special foods? I like to walk. No, no, mm. I've, never, I've never been on a diet. I don't believe in diets. I think your body needs everything. Oh, the I've the always sugar, felt everything. that. God. But, 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 but. Oh, oh, wait a minute, here comes. Ah, no, there is a but. There is a big but. Moderation. Moderation. That's right. Yeah. Discipline. That's the moderation. but I hate. You see, ah, <laughs> that's the bad one. Oh. For that, you have to have a lot of discipline. I don't smoke, I don't drink, but, I, but I've never been on a diet. But do you ever have any fun? I do. <laughs> do you? I do. <laughs> when Dolores Del Rio made La Otra, she had just ended a film collaboration with Mexican director Emilio Fernandez. La Otra would be her first picture and collaboration with Roberto Galvedon. Her role in La Otra truly is fascinating for the viewer to witness. One is taken on an emotional roller coaster, as initially the story has you rooting for the demure Maria. But by the picture's end, one is left questioning if she is even worthy of the sympathy. The film is chock full of scenes that I love. However, it is the opening that really sticks with me, as it starts at a funeral with a coffin. My goblins and ghouls, this is the perfect way to open a picture of corpse. What I especially love about this scene is that it reveals so much about our character Magdalena. One of the attendees says, rich widow in the prime of her life, she won't suffer long. It is almost worth envying. Later, back at the home, the house staff is placing bets on how soon she will remarry. As for the overall production, the director makes use of mirrors to show characters' duality, much like has been seen in some of the other twin pictures. Now, unlike the other films we spoke about earlier in the series, the scenes with the twins are done here in La Otra without any special effects or flim-flam. Instead, the use of shadows, lighting, and a stand-in for Del Rio was utilized. The acting is also very superb, as we do not have monograms, such as you may recall in the Olivia de Havilland picture, The Dark Mirror, in which the sisters often had pieces of jewelry with their initials on them so that you could tell the twins apart. In La Otra, it's quite apparent through the acting which sister is which. With La Otra, Dolores Del Rio was given the opportunity to play two very different characters that both had their own individual depths and characteristics. I also found the production design and costumes to be quite something. When we first meet Maria's boyfriend Roberto, the detective, she saunters by on a city street and there are lovely department store windows shown in the background. Of course, I love the use of mannequins, but truly, department store window displays are such a relic of the past that I miss. As for the costumes, there is one scene in particular that comes to mind when Maria has become Magdalena. Giving her access to her classy wardrobe, she dons a blouse with hands on it. I kind of love it, because of course, I could not help but think about her past as a manicurist, but also it is kind of symbolic that Magdalena's life is now in the hands of Maria. While stumbling around the wild world of the internets, I actually found a paper doll of Dolores Del Rio with wardrobe 
from this film, and it just so happened to be that magnificent hands shirt. I will upload this paper doll to the Cinematic Crypt page on moviejohn.com so you can print it out and enjoy. One more note about the production that I would like to mention is the music utilized in the film. Much of the sound that you hear is that of a theremin. And well, creepies, I have put in my request to Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, who creates much of the sounds that you hear on this program, and I would like to incorporate a theremin into this pod. So look out. As for Dolores, she was often considered the female Rudolph Valentino, or as some would say, the female Latin lover. She was beloved in Hollywood and made many friends along the way, in particular that of Vincent Price, who you may remember was a corpse of interest on this show in episode 18, in which I uncovered the bat. Price was known to often sign Dolores's name, and he would go on to say that the reasoning behind this was that he promised her on her deathbed that he would do his best to keep her spirit alive. What a friend. Following her death, Dolores was cremated and interred at Panteon Civil de Dolores in Mexico City, Mexico specifically on the rotunda of illustrious persons. She passed away on April 11, 1983, four months away from what would have been her 79th birthday. However, it must be said that legend has it, even before her eternal sleep. Dolores was known to sleep for 16 hours a day to maintain her beauty. I don't know about you, creepies, but sounds like she may have been a vampire. When asked about her slumbering, Dolores said, One of the legends you hear about me is that I sleep 16 hours a day. That is ridiculous. In the first place, it's physically impossible. Secondly, someone else would have to do my work on the stage, in motion pictures, managing my home. I sleep nine hours. And speaking of sleep, well, creepies, I think this is where I shall leave you, for it is almost dawn and I must be retiring to my bunk. Mwah. Everybody in the valley has the strangest tale to tell. A story of a haunted house and a ghost they knew so well. If you pass by the haunted house there in the dead of night, you'd hear a woman's ghostly wail, but there was no ghost inside, for it was the yodeling, yodeling ghost. She'd yodel in the cellar. Through the haunted house, you could hear her lonesome call. I hope. 
hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are interested in watching La Otra, which I'm guessing you probably are, as you can't resist a twin switcheroo tale filled with deception, forgery, and wills and thrills. Well, creepies, luckily for you, the film is quite easy to find with a quick Google search. I was able to watch it via archive.org. Now I have a question for you, my little creepies. Do you believe in ghosts? In my next series, I will be rapping on chamber doors in search of specters as I venture to cinematic haunted abodes. I will be hoping to experience strange, unexplained sights and sounds as I pay visit to the most frightening and terrifying of homes, where I dream of meeting a paranormal pal. Hope you tune in. Until then, don't be a stranger. I want to know what you think. Drop your favorite little gravedigger a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at cinematiccrypt or reach me via postal mail. Attention Movie John, and that's M-O-V-I-E-J-A-W-N P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145. I will always write back and include a personalized epitaph. Shout out to my Canadian film pal and fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, for providing and creating a lot of the tunes you hear on this program. Also, thanks to fellow movie genre, the Hollywood hunk. Hugo Marmucci for the rad Cinematic Crypt logo. If you can't get enough of my soothing voice, you can find me on other programs that are part of the Movie John Podcast Network, such as Best Friends Forever, which returns this October. Simply visit moviejohn.com under MJ Pods, and while there, make sure to subscribe to our quarterly print publication. Our upcoming fall 2023 issue features films with twins, doppelgangers, and mirrors. Much like the cinematic crypt Double Trouble series, you shall find your eyes did not deceive you. For when there are two, there is twice as much fun. Visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe or patreon.com slash moviejohn, where you can subscribe and support the awesome MJ crew and help us continue to publish our cinematic magazine. Lastly, don't forget to follow along with my escapades outside of the crypt by subscribing to my newsletter, Sunday Matinee on Substack. It is now time to close the coffin, and here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph, my tombstone quote, compliments of Maria Mendez as Magdalena Mendez. Destiny has always pulled me away from the things I love. A reminder to all that visit my grave, make sure to bring me movies to watch, as I don't know if they will be available in heaven which of corpse is most probably definitely where I'll be headed. Mwah. I now leave you in the hands of the very nice, very evil, 
very famous AEW superstar Danhausen. Goodbye, film pals. Greetings, goblins and ghouls. This is Danhausen. Very nice, very evil. This concludes our trip to the graveyard. Until next descent into the cinematic crypt, be sure to follow your illustrious spooky host, Betzina Belfry, or Belfry, whichever you may prefer, on Twitter at Cinematic Crypt, so that you'll never miss a corpse. Yes, join us next time for another trip six feet under to pry open a coffin of Hollywood's past, or be cursed.